Today's episode is brought to you by Brandon Smith, who stayed behind, keeping people's tipples topped, cider beakers tippin', sippin' vintages amidst vast vistas of austere asylum down at Left Foot Charlie, that I might get a couple hours to cut this bad boy. Let me tell you about young Brandon. He made his first million at 13, playing Baccarat and Macau against a cadre of unsavory underworld types with rumored ties to human trafficking and the heroin trade in Kazakhstan. It was after a brief intrigue in the casino in which this total babe Brandon had fallen in love with was shot and killed by a blow dart tainted with fugu powder, a blow dart meant for him, that Brandon decided to get out of the seedy world of underground high-stakes gambling. Lost for a time, bereft of the thundering rush of adrenaline that comes from laying a straight flush down on green felt with a half mill on the table and a gun literally to your head, Brandon fell into a life of straight thuggin' until falling by chance into the winery business. Having spent his fortune on a variety of Carhartt hats for no discernible reason, Brandon began anew, reinventing himself as a tasting room server with a heart of gold and one hell of a talent on the drums. And this episode, harrowing as it is at times, is for you, buddy. Thanks again. Oh, good morning. <laughs> Didn't see you there, listener, my old friend. Uh, if you listened to the Quarter One Shootout episode yesterday, you know that Carl and I, at the invitation of our brilliant, charming, roguishly handsome friend David, uh, and accompanied by my artistic, witchy, total smoke show of a wife, Bird, went and saw Shang-Chi last night in IMAX. Fuck. Uh, we were supposed to come back home and record an episode immediately afterwards, which I would then ostensibly have cut and posted for you to listen to this morning. Alas, I am old. Or, uh, if not old, then sleepy and slightly fried by a couple rough weeks of stress and tussle. Uh, so instead of recording the Shang-Chi episode, Bird and I went home, and I went promptly to sleep instead. <laughs> Seriously, it was only like 9.50 when Bird and I got home. Feel free to send me an email at measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com, mocking my snoozy infirmity. Both my dogs turned into cats. I suddenly had a lap blanket. It was it was bad. Like, the evening news was on, and we didn't even have a television in our bedroom. I was... I was asleep, is what happened. Um, we're all getting together on Thursday evening instead. That's a couple days from now. So you got to wait for the Shang-Chi episode. Just a hot, another hot second. Then we're all getting together after work that evening um, to record the episode. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that you should most definitely go and see Shang-Chi. If you're not doing the movie theater thing, run it online. If you are, it was kind of cool to be back in a movie theater. There weren't a ton of people there. It was pretty spaced out. And god damn can you feel the sound in IMAX there's some hits in that movie there's a ton of fighting I don't want to spoil anything because I want to do an episode with with the boys but and my beautiful wife bird but uh there's some there's some blows that land in that that you can feel in the bones in your skull when you get that IMAX sound anyway it's fucking good and you should watch it um but I'd rather light you a candle than curse you my sleepy darkness so here's a different episode altogether. Uh, now that it's the middle of uh, September, let's kick off our series, The Guns of August, as we cover, as Carl and I cover our way through some war movies, beginning on a very high note with 1949's 12 O'Clock High. Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut, drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut. Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks, and come and listen in, we're measuring flicks. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring Flicks. I'm Carl Hartley, and I'm Max Peterson. That's a very fast you, intro. It is. There's well, there's urgency today. There Carl. is. There's we got to get all these props going, man. <laughs> We've got. We got. Chuck a look. We're chuck-a-luck, two chuck-a-luck. minutes behind, man. We got to yeah. make up that time by the time we reach the next checkpoint over Europe, ladies huh. and gentlemen. Well, I mean, it's already August. Like pretty much August is almost over, <laughs> but. But Carl, we're here, and it is—it's time for uh, for a new theme. The guns. Finally, the guns of oh, August, yes. named after one of my favorite um, war history books. And we're actually recording Ever. episodes in the month that we are we're actually finally. Talking. Yeah. I know we're now we're almost out of the month, so we're, well, but let's yeah, let's not poo in our own shoes, Carl. No, I'm not going to shoe poo myself. <laughs> I'm going to shoe poo myself. We're finally recording the August episodes in August, which means we are ostensibly. Air quotes, heavy air quotes. Caught up, catching up. Yeah, we're, I would say we're we're, we're still in the pre- yeah. We're almost there though, man. But dude, I'm proud of us because listen, we're also recording a fucking album right now too. It's true, and it sounds pretty fucking rad. We it did does. a band practice today; it sounded good. So we're sitting down. We got some Fortis Malum, and we're gonna we're gonna talk war movies this month. Yep. You sent me a text two days ago because we have been kind of binging war movies, which is harder than you'd think, listener, because yeah. guess what? War movies are all three hours long. I've been binging <laughs> like war movies, but like in particular, like submarine warfare right. movies recently, just I, on my own. I was very, uh, I was delighted to realize that we got two submarine movies in yeah. for you. Yeah, we sure did. I'm stoked for both of them because they're both, well, one's a masterpiece and the other one is a great flick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I to- I don't. I can assume. I've never seen either, but I can guess based on yeah. what I know about them, which is which. But you've been playing a lot of. You've got like like sub. Not they're not called sub commander. What are they called? Oh, the um um. Your various submarine World War Two. Yeah, like silent organs. silent victory and uh, beneath the med that kind of stuff. These 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 very like crunchy tabletop board games that are just. You take a U-boat, you go on patrols yeah. until you either die or don't. You broke those out last time I was over yeah. at your house, and you were showing me, like, and here's where you, like, write your, uh, your like, mission log report, and you're, like, fuel. How ex- much tonnage yeah, that you like sank. Fuel and, expenditure yeah. and, like, like gross weight upon return. And I'm like, Carl, this is really. It's like an actual log from us. <laughs> yeah. basic, you, are, you are all but. Everything is real, except you're not in a submarine. Yeah. Like, that's where. <laughs> well, that's. Uh, God, and that's why I've gotten so deep into tabletop wargaming in particular because there's so many solo, not just variants, but like right. there are a fucking shit house full of games that are solitaire only Good. that are war. War games. Yeah. Good solo play games are so hard to find. Are, and that was my. That was my, like pandemic find was i was already into board gaming sure. but it's like those the really crunchy, the really crunchy like solo board games like mage knight was like the first one but then i started getting into these war games which are like gloomhaven and then the, oh the war my games. god well we it's a slippery slope max when we sat down to to figure out we we we've never done a month of war films before probably because because of the reason that i was very nervous about sitting down for today's episode which is like westerns when when i think of movies like this yeah the way that the way that this movies these movies so far have kind of like seemed to make me want to feel westerns make me feel that way right so like you you i can watch these movies and and kind of feel the feelings that the movie's trying to elicit you mm-hmm. know and i'm like but i just don't because of the way that i was raised and i'm like my genre in this wheelhouse like the sort of like uh, individual exceptionalism and like valor and bravery and sacrifice and like willingness to fight willingness to die i get all of that primarily principally from, from the, westerns right. because it's like 
because they're I can. They're so very similar. They I think. are. They're they're like totally like kissing cousin genres mm-hmm. because it's just the units involved that I can't, I don't really like connect with in war films necessarily that I do in Western where it's like I'm gonna fight for my family. I'm gonna defend my town against. It's it's something about the more personal tribal scale that right. I can get behind. Whereas with like a war flick, the scale the scale just is so large as to become monstrous to me. I was talking to Bird the other day, um, and I was I was said that war movies to me whenever everyone always like freaks out about the amount of horror that I watch. Like I really right. am into the horror genre, but none of that really affects me. War films to me are horror films are like war films to me are as horror films are to everyone else when i watch a war movie these really upset me yeah so that's why i was kind of trying to it's understandable man um i like that we broke down we're okay because you could do like four world war ii movies or like let's do a vietnam and a uh you know iraq korean war movie korean war movie we could do there's we could do like different perspectives we could do like let's do flags of our fathers and letters from you which is a great double feature but we were like okay how do we break it down so that the war movies are like kind of different? But I think you and I are both kind of in a World War II mood. Very much so. Well, I'm always in a World War II mood. I it's know. like my, you know, top three favorite genres of all time Is are World like World War, II, World War film. II film. Yeah. I'm f- also fascinated specifically by the Second World War yep. because I think a lot of people are. It's the the thing that keeps drawing me back to it. Is I, I listen to and I recommend everybody. If if you li- if you're like listening to our show for the first time, yeah, subscribe, hang out, listen to us. But if you join our Patreon, yeah, for <laughs> sure. If you have to pick and you can only listen to one podcast, go listen to Hardcore History, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I need to get on that. It's fucking unbelievably good. And the reason that I am so fascinated currently and for the last like maybe two years with World War II is the way that Dan Carlin talks about it. I never thought of it this way before because probably how it's been presented in films. World War II is truly like the largest disaster that's ever occurred on Earth. The largest scale disaster, man-made disaster. Absolutely. It's 75 million people died in World War II. That does not even fucking compute, man. I wrote that down in my notes. I said 75 million people is not a number that modern humans have any context for. Right now, COVID has killed, and COVID's bad. Like, clearly it's not good. We're all in a really shitty way, right? Yeah. And let's then round up to a million. World War II was 75 COVID pandemics. And that's with me aggressively rounding up. And now a quick interjection from your old friend, the critic. This is not the last time in this episode that young Max will aggressively round up his figures. Later on, for example, he'll tell you the United States killed half of Korea in the Korean War. The actual figure is 10%. That's still 10% of the Korean population. It's still horrifying. It's just his statistics are completely wrong. Try not to judge him too harshly. He's an excitable little guy, and he really, really doesn't like war. I'm being humorous here not to diminish the human cost of war, which is its ultimate horror, measured in suffering, grief, and cruelty. Not at all. Only to let you know that some of the numbers this righteously outraged little fucker slings around have more in common with Dr. Evil's $100 billion than actual facts. $100 billion is only half of Jeff Bezos' fortune, by the way, while we're all righteously outraged. The point is, war is bad. Max doesn't like war. Max listened to a history podcast once, and there were numbers in it. Maybe not these numbers, but numbers, certainly. 
It's a movie podcast, folks. It's free. They like to drink. Better get your facts and figures from the library. Because if it's closer to 500,000, which it's not, it's above that now, but let's say five, let's round down 500,000. World War II was 150 COVID pandemics. That's, that was, that's, wow. That was a really intensely terrible thing that happened for a long time. Yeah. And when you look at it through that lens, and this is something we'll get into today, we talked about it in the, in the texts. Is there are I think there are two ways to watch basically any war movie. And one of them is through the lens of what I just said. And the other one is through the lens of the people who want you to go and get yep. in on the action. And so and that was the text that I sent you because yeah. these movies work on me exactly in the way that they were intended. Like I watch shit like Flags of Our Fathers, or like for a perfect example is like I don't think that Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg are trying to make a propaganda series when they did Band of Brothers. I agree. Yeah. It's cautionary. It's harrowing. But it's also showing you the bravery. It does all those things. But it it still does those things. It's yes, still like, no. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, exactly. yeah, I see that you're not you're not saying that war was good. Right. You're saying that this was like the last great generation of or the last great war, which is another weird thing to even it's consider. It's a strange thing to say. Right. For sure. But, um, but they, they, they all work on me in the way that they are intended. I get gung-ho. I get that whole flag-waving. Sure. Like, I get patriotic. I feel like I want to pop a salute real quick to no one in particular Just, in the room. Like You can say it. Did you cut, did you cut any in your, in alone, in your, alone in your apartment? Did you cut a salute at the screen? No, I don't. You didn't? Did you no. feel the itch? I did, though. If you like what we do and you are ready to go... On our new theme, uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm, Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M. Toss us a couple of bucks. Help us keep the mics hot and the lights on and the war movies rolling. Um, and an uh, interesting little side note, for those of you that aren't aware what Patreon is, it is a crowdsourcing uh, website that helps pay artists and I creators. Guess not everyone does know. Uh, huh? Well, Jeremy asked on our, he was he was in the car with us on the way up to the concert the other day. He's like, how do I do the patron thing? I want to do the patron thing. He's my brother-in-law. And I'm sure. like, yeah, oh, shit. Like, he, he, he knows what it is, but doesn't know how to do it. So gotcha. it's a, you can do it. You can download an app very easily. If yeah. you go to the app store, look up Patreon. You we'll can do a quick primer. Yeah, quick primer. Okay. Install the app. You you open up the app. It very briefly you give them like just signing up for any other sort of subscription. It's like right. your payment information, a login, and then you find us at Colin Film. App. I find the easiest way to do it is the desk. app is super easy I or like the desktop. The computer. You can you can either do it through a standard web browser or through your um, cell phone. And it, it, yeah, it's essentially the concept of patronage brought into the 21st century. If you like. Any local artist, there's all sorts of, I mean, check our stuff out, but there's all sorts of amazing stuff you can check out on Patreon. Visual artists, my wife, um, the artist Bird, she's got her own yep. Patreon. There's pod- Mashup Rock and Roll Musical has yep. a Patreon Other page. podcasts, yep. local theater groups, um, authors who are trying to make it, lots of musicians on there. If you find somebody who you want to support, you just essentially um, sign up to subscribe to their monthly output of art. You give them a little bit of money every month. It supports what they're doing and keeps it rolling for four fucking seasons, exactly, which is yeah. what happened with us. Um, and the people who have kept us going for four fucking seasons are, um, and from the bottom of our heart, thank you so much. We're getting, the fact that we're catching up really makes me kind of like, it gives me a little more love for the patrons because it's like, we're coming, guys. Yeah, man. <laughs> we're doing this for you, man. We're sweating, we're bleeding, and we're almost fucking there. So much love to Baloney Shoes, Leslie Tai. Cassandra, 
Jeffrey T. Morgan, Kevin Ramirez, Sister Sarah Hartley, William Rockwood, Brian Jackson, David Rowney, Daniele Hartel. <laughs> yeah, David Rowney. David I, Rowney. I know. I don't know why awesome, that happened though. just now, but I was like, um, Daniele Hartelli, Connor Sweeney, uh, Casey Scheibe, and John Scheibe. Thank you all so much. Um, head on over to patreon.com. You can slash Quill and Film. You can chat with those fine folks and ask them why you should give us some money. The answer is because we deserve it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not, you're not I mean, wrong. We don't yet, but we're almost back to earning it, folks. Help we us. Help us deserve it. Help us deserve it by enabling. <laughs> 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 all right. Today we were talking about 1949s. Let's get into it because this trailer, we had to, we were watching it before the episode and it was too good. So we stopped it. We're going to watch it live right now there and react go. to it. So today we're talking about 1949s, 12 o'clock high. After we looked at 12 o'clock high at the studio, I asked Daryl Zanuck's permission to tell you about it. I volunteered to do this because I believe that 12 o'clock high is a particularly fine picture. Because of its daring and exceptional honesty, it touches a new limit of human emotion and experience. It shows what actually happened to 12 men in one group of the 8th Air Force, what they had to take and how they took it. Twelve men as their women never knew them. The role of Savage in Twelve O'Clock High is the most satisfying I've ever played. Savage is an exceptional personality who dares to be all things to twelve men. A man who crosses wings with destiny. But stop worrying about it and about yourselves. Stop making plans. Forget about going home. Consider yourselves already dead. Once you accept that idea, it won't be so rough. On your toes high, squadron, low squadron, here they come, 12 o'clock high. Watch it come, they're heading for the high squadron. Not to miss it. Thank you. That's that's a hell of a phrase. Good, powerful entertainment. It's. You know what? I agree with. Um, <laughs> it's like stop worrying about. Stop it. worrying about <laughs> it. Don't fucking talk about it anymore. But you know what, man? Like the that was a fucking good trailer for this movie. Yep. Because you know what? I 100% agree with Gregory Peck. 100%. When he, like, I've always loved that old style of, we talked about it with. Here I am. A long, 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 long movie. Yeah, exactly. You know, where they're yeah. like, the, I'm the director and I'm here to tell you why you should watch my film. And I'm like, this is so quaint. Let's watch this. But he's, but he's right. Like, what makes this movie different? Because this is 1949. So this movie was made four years after the end of World War II. You hear that and you don't. It's hard to understand. It is. We don't. We don't. You're have... one high school career away from the war having just ended. Like... Yeah, freshman to senior. You you were a ni- you were an eighth grader when they dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and this movie comes out as you're graduating. Right. 
God damn, that's weird, man. This is the thing that it's the context. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think I honestly don't think that as modern Americans, we as a society have any idea or grasp at all of what the world felt like to live in in 1945 or 1949. Like, imagine four years before this thing comes out, you were alive and watching as 75 million men, men, women, and children died in a heinous conflict that flattened much of Europe. Well, you were saying before we turned the mics on, it's like, Half of the shots in, well, in the next flick we're watching. Yeah. It's like Europe is on fire just all the time. This like is, buildings are burning. Like fields are, there aren't, I mean, there's no wine being made. There's, like, yeah, there's, cer- <laughs> there's certain parts of Europe where like you walk outside and you turn to the left and there's a tank parked there and like 50 dudes with machine guns and a giant 50 cal swivels over to make sure that you're friendly. and you Air raid sirens. Yep. And, yeah. Or a fucking artillery shelling. You're hanging out in you're hanging out in London, and all of a sudden one day you're just walking down. You're standing in line waiting for bread, and you start hearing, and then before you realize what you're hearing, yeah. your whole city's on fire. Yeah, it's and wild. Everyone's man. around you in pieces. Like, listener, for those, I, I'll say this right up top: for those of you who can, who can stomach a war movie or could watch it, it's not that long. It's black and white, but it's it's fuck. It's pretty rough. It is, and, but a, what's crazy? It's rough, but it's you don't see anything. Well, towards the end, the end, we get the the battles, but it's all right. dialogue, and it's all you're. It's the best example of the opposite of what you normally hear. You you normally hear in, in a movie, you want to show, don't tell. Right. This is all telling instead of showing, and it's fucking the most brutal movie I've ever seen about war, and we don't see any of it. I wouldn't believe it if I wasn't looking at it. I can see his brain. I can see his brain. That's so fucked. And you, you, the viewer, don't see his brain. Nope. But you see the boys plow out of the B-17. So, it's such a weird movie. Yeah, it is, dude. It's 49. It's black and white. It should be old-timey. Yep. Right? It should be like one of these movies you watch, and it's like... Like a Cary Grant kind of like... Yeah, and nothing against Cary Grant, but no. it, it should feel like a Cary Grant movie, but it doesn't. We t- we've used well, this Well, because you have Gregory Peck, and he's yes. like, got the gravitas, man. Like Gravitas is such an undersell of what he... I, true. This might be... I've seen To Kill a Mockingbird a couple well, times. Well, I was going to say, most people's picture. in for Gregory Peck is To, to Kill, Kill a Mockingbird. Mockingbird. This might be his best I think so. performance ever. Hands down. I, I can... It's... It should feel old timey, but it doesn't. We've we've watched Midsummer, we've watched Hereditary, we watched all these I Spit on Your Grave films. This movie's harrowing, dude. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those movies where like you tear up the whole way, like at multiple points throughout, and sometimes you tear up with I, I'm right there with you with like a weird sense of patriotism. Mm-hmm. Of course, mine is tinged with like a little bit of disgust that the programming sure. can still be pushed. But like but you do feel it. You feel that sense of like, and we. I would like to get into this a little bit later on with you, the difference between this war and every war that followed it. Yeah. This was the last time that I think there was a clear sense of moralism that united a fighting Right, because force of, this of is one of those, I mean, one, it's, it's important to, to, to note that we were super late getting into the war anyway. Yes, yeah. The U.S. I mean, we were pushed into it by Japan. I mean, they don't bomb Pearl Harbor. We were probably already going to... 
we go might have into been, the like, war. We were supplying, but that England jump started that, but like yeah. that was like all right. Well, shit. Well, now we have to because this shit just happened. So yeah, we ramped up very fast. Very fast. Too. Well, we were already there. Like you said, we were already helping with the sort of getting the war machine going, and then Pearl Harbor happens, and it's sort of like it forced our hand a little bit and we're like, well, fuck. Okay. I can't remember. I don't, I can't, my history is a little bit rusty, but I can't remember if we went to war with Japan because of Pearl Harbor first, or if the United States or if Germany declared war on the United States, right? I think we went to war with Germany before Japan and then Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. And then we were like, okay, it's game on. We're just in. And now we're in two major theaters. Right. Because the first thing that happened was Germany declared war on the U S Winston Churchill famously sent a cigar over to some of his high command. Cause they were like, gentlemen, good morning. The United States has entered the war. He was so fucking elated because of our, um, our capa- our production capacity. Yeah. We could build tanks and planes, and we had massive manpower that was desperately needed. Because that's another thing that people don't really think about with World War II. That none of that fighting, except for with the exception of Pearl Harbor getting hit in Hawaii, none of that fighting happened on our shores. Mm-hmm. Like Europe, every day was dealing like with France and yes, Poland. Dude, and, yeah. I mean the bombings of London, the Luftwaffe yeah. did a version of what we're gonna see in this movie, right? So. I've been listening to a lot of shit kind no, of tangentially dude, related to this. So I'm, I'm listening to a really great audiobook that I highly recommend to everybody. It's on Hoopla. It, you should find this. It's an either audiobook or a regular book. This guy's great. Everything he writes is phenomenal. Donald L. Miller wrote this book called Masters of the Air. It's all about the B-17 bomber units, in particular the Air Force's 8th, which is what we're, what ta- we're talking, we're about, talking yeah. about in this thing. So I was, I've been listening That's to this book for awesome, a while. Dude. Yeah, so I was like, oh, cool. I've got some background on this brief historical background that will make this movie make more sense there was a group of people in the united states and some people in england who were essentially military theorists who were trying to figure out what air power looked like in the war because in world war one airplanes were like biplanes yeah you have like the red baron and shit exactly that's very much dogfighting was the the order of the day right so uh, air conflict was considered to be pilot versus pilot like that's kind of what it was you know and like dropping bombs was literally like throwing stuff out the cockpit. oh you had like shit that you primed in the cockpit and just just chucked chucked it out of your open cockpit yeah right that was that was air power in world war one and then when you get to world war two there's a tom Selleck movie about that what Hold on, sorry, but like memory unlocked. A Tom Selleck movie? Yeah, where he's I just I had the most like clear memory. Now all of a sudden out of nowhere of Tom Selleck flying an old warplane. Do you know what like, it's called? I don't. I'm trying to. I'm trying to talk myself into what yeah, the yeah, title yeah, is. Yeah, okay. But he's got like the potato mashers, like yeah, the yeah. German grenades that he's priming the in the small cockpit. Stick grenades, yeah. Yeah, and just like chucking them out onto like he's doing like a bombing run. Is it a good movie? No, I don't remember. Okay, all right. <laughs> but, <laughs> There's a shortage of good World wow. War One movies, so anytime if I anyone hear can of figure one. out what that movie is, email measuringflexpodcast at gmail.com, <laughs> or we could just fucking Google it, I guess. But no, why? Why would we ever let, do let, that? Let's let the audience play along. Yeah, yeah, guys, help us out. China's China Express. Let's start a conversation. Basically, all of the military powers in the world were trying to figure out where airplanes fit in. Because at this point in history, most places believed that the supreme military force was the Navy. Yeah. Battleships, insanely powerful. You park, park them off a shore, fleet, yep. you can drop artillery on shore. They From can, 100 miles away, you can shell. They can bomb each other to yep. pieces. They can bl- And battleships were like the shit. Everyone they was... still are, by the way. The Ticonderogas are even kind not, of outdated not, now. But. Yeah, not used that much. And it, World War II is really interesting because especially during the Pacific engagements, this is what broke naval supremacy because what they figured out was 
aircraft carriers are cool because you can launch airplanes from anywhere. But what air, aircraft carriers introduced to ocean warfare was airplanes. Mm-hmm. That was very eye-opening for the Navy because what happened was you get a big battleship that would could go like you know an hour fighting another battleship just pounding and all this armor on the sides of the ship meant to take shelling. And then what you end up with is one or two planes get above it, drop bombs straight through the deck, and only a couple planes can sink battleships oh my in God, yeah. minutes. The the descriptions of naval battles in the South Pacific. you're wood on top, steel yes, on the side, baby. Yes, dude. Only yeah. a few <laughs> ships back in the day had fucking um, steel, like steel deck. Plating, yeah. Like, honestly, Carl's not wrong. Like, these were wood-decked ships. The, first, the carriers, like Midway, dude. That, yes. The Enterprise had a wooden <laughs> fucking wooden flight fucking deck. fucking flight deck. So, of course, you get a plane above that. One bomb drops through your wooden flight deck, and now you have a huge bomb inside your that hull. That went down, yes. not through. Where you have, hull, you have compartmentalization, which is how battleships and carriers keep from sinking. And, like, there's compartments. So, one right. compartment will flood. You seal it. And now you have the, but if a bomb goes straight from top to bottom, yep, through the and bottom, and you blow through all that, sh- I mean, there is no more compartmentalization, and also you break the back of the fucking correct ship. Yep, so. it loses its structural integrity. Y'all seen the, y'all seen Titanic? Y'all saw Titanic? <laughs> Some of you might be familiar with the story of the USS Indianapolis. Like, yes, dude. Like oh. when a ship goes, when you crack a ship and it sinks, it's a bad situation. Yep, and they go down fast, dude, faster than you would like. Yeah, comprehend. Yes, within a matter of minutes. So wild. Dude. So that's and that's just sing, like single engine fighters and torpedo planes. Even though the tor- American torpedo planes didn't really work, there's a whole other side. Well, most there. most of the American torpedoes didn't work. Yeah, they went to they went to their deep. dud percentage in the beginning like of the war was like no, but yeah, like in the ninety percent. I'm not. Yeah, you you and I are in agreement. Like Holy the American shit. torpedoes were the worst weapons in. The, but the the thing that was like made it okay was the Germans were having similar problems with their shit. The other thing that made it okay. And I actually some of this Heavy might end up just being okay. Carl and I talking about war history. Well, this is the primer on the whole month of war movies. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll keep getting into it too. We have no film set in the South Pacific, but this is all apropos to what we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. which is strategic bombing, which is a big topic. Yeah. Um, but Amer- the American torpedo planes, I I think this is fascinating because what would happen was American torpedo planes would fly in and attack these Japanese these Japanese naval vessels because the Japanese were building up a powerful navy very quickly. So they want to talk about torpedo planes. They're like, torpedo planes didn't even work Listen, Dad. So <laughs> the Japanese didn't know that the American torpedo planes were bullshit and that the torpedoes didn't work. So this is sick, but they actually were very effective at drawing enemy fighter fire. So Makes th- sense, Because yeah. in order to launch a torpedo, you would have to fly. This is true, listener. Despite all that shade I threw at the beginning of the episode about young Max's exuberance and enthusiasm, all of this is actually true. These, these are people that had to do this less than 100 years ago. They had to fly just a couple feet above the ocean for a long stretch, like a quarter mile, to get the torpedo nice and level and steady, even though they didn't work. The pilots didn't know this, and the enemy didn't know this. All this is pointless. This is so fucked up. <laughs> they had to fly just a few feet above the ocean and keep her steady without evasive maneuvers under heavy enemy fire to give the torpedo enough time to like get lined up, drop into the water at the right angle to ostensibly fly into the side so of the ship. So you're manually acquiring a firing solution Correct. like in midair. Yes. That's fucked. While not 
being able to evade huge swarms of enemy fighters. You can't move, so you just get low and fucking hammer it and hope Max, you don't get attacked. that doesn't work, though. No, it doesn't, Carl. They died <laughs> like, in droves. There's no way that that works without, I mean... This, to me, is an important you part... You killed all of your pilots unnecessarily. Well, the like, Japanese did that. The U.S. Well, didn't really know they were doing that until after the fair. war, and then they were like, shit. Oh, uh, we done fucked <laughs> but, up. But no, and this, and it's honestly no laughter. Like This is a, this is a, a topic that you and I are going to talk about over the mm-hmm. course of this month, which is this. What those pilots did was absolutely that's bravery yeah that is valor under fire for sure one thing that i will continually argue throughout the entire series that we're about to do is that what it is not is glorious because i don't think there is there is no such thing as glory in war individual acts of bravery heroism camaraderie valor under fire um you see people achieve these sort of like pinnacle states of human development and moral fortitude and like the gut check thing is true you form camaraderie you form these powerful tightly tightly bonded groups all of that is totally true because because these men are thrown into impossible situations and they're forced to either excel or die so just by the nature of what what war is you can end up with everything but glory because what you're doing, what war is, is the antithesis of glorious. It's horrendous. Even if what, even if, even if, the reason that you're fighting is a valid reason, like World War II, you got, you kind of got to stop Hitler from doing what you the fuck to. he's doing. Otherwise, yep. I mean, that's hor- That's a horrific thought that I can't even comprehend what that world would look like. No. How how bad do you think that that would be? think we're, we're worse than that yeah like orders of magnitude worse we would have only white blonde haired blue-eyed people living on the planet is how well, bad that would be you got the thing that scares me the most is how much would the extermination have scaled up yeah, ho- incre- well like, what, i can't even comprehend where does dude. the holocaust yeah. go and you know what's really fucked especially when you're talking about world war ii is everyone points to, and this is in no way diminishing the Holocaust, but right. everyone points to Hitler and the Holocaust. He's like, he exterminated 6 million people. 6 million. Just think about, I said 75 million earlier, and I'm positive that like 90% of the listeners were like, that's a huge number. But because you can't get your head around it, 6 million is almost small enough that you can. You can't. You think it's you small. can small enough i know well. like but yeah but you can there's you can comprehend that number you see you hear better. six million and you're like okay that's like a whole that's a big city's worth of people yeah like okay shit and you just start imagining that's all those like people. chicago and you okay got it and you start imagining all their stories and you but you can't get there you know what i mean right. you're like it's just it's too much it's too big it's too fucked and it's too evil but the thing to remember about this time period that's less than a hundred years behind us is hitler was not even the biggest mass murderer during that war one of our allies might have been we're not talking i mean we're not even mentioning gonna mention mao's china at any point during nope. this. but like <laughs> joseph stalin intentionally started a famine in the ukraine because he had too many people around and he was like we got to kill like that country right so he fabricated this is a world leader fabricated a famine to starve a country to death what i just said into your ear that's a thing that happened within a hundred years of now that's why when we talk about world war ii and then talk about every fucking war that came after it it's apples and oranges yeah, in dude. a weird way it's a whole other kind of thing because some sh- some really intense evil was happening 
that needed to be addressed. And that's why the movies that we talk about this month have a slightly different timbre right. than movies like... Vietnam movies are hard. This, to me, kind of felt like one. It did, didn't it? It did. This so, felt a little bit like, not born on the 4th of July, but kind of. like. A, it's got like a we were soldiers yeah, kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Where it's like... We, we talked about this before we did this month because... Listener, I can't under, I can't stress enough like how scared I was to have these talks. Carl's a veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, you served. I did not. Um, my dad served. He was an Air Force captain. Yeah. And we've been we've been kind of texting about like how you like how you progressed through the armed forces. You were, were in the Navy. Yep. And how my dad, who had a long career as an Air Force captain, how he raised me to think about the military and yeah. how I approach that and that they're kind of different. And I know like there's like there's like five things you're not supposed to talk about ever, you know? And right. This is Well, everyone talks about everything these days. Like yeah. it used to be like don't talk about religion or politics. It's taboo. And now we right. all just fucking Instagram our fucking But like, what we see now is like a lot of people are just kind of dropping the sticker name <laughs> into the into the friendship, you know? And yeah, they're yeah. so I'm like, okay, but but that's the beauty of measuring flicks is we watched this movie. Now let's Let's talk about how, how it made us feel. What right. We- My first question is, so we kind of talked around this this flick, right? Yeah. So, uh, up front, dude, like, where do you rank this in your own personal, like, I'm just curious. For you've you've watched a war film, but do, does this cross over into, like, that Western genre and how you feel about those in any sort of way? Like, did this do anything for you? Yeah, okay. absolutely. At we this I cannot state this enough. You listener should watch this movie. You it's, should just fucking buy you it. You should buy it. I rented it. That was a terrible mistake. That was I, one of my favorite texts from you last night. Was dude, I mean, I fucked up. I, I should have bought up. it. I should have bought it, and I did. I rented it. I watched it. The credits rolled, and I bought this. Yep. Buy it. It's hard to find on physical media. Get it on Vudu. Get it on Prime. You can just buy a copy of it. It is It is worth every penny of your money. Yeah. Even if you watch it one time, this movie is worth owning. 12 O'Clock High is capital M, a masterpiece. Yes. There is no doubt about that in my mind. I I think, so we we briefly mentioned uh, To Kill a Mockingbird just in right. passing. Yeah. And so that is, most people that are, even f- folks that are, are just like marginal fans of film, they they hear To Kill a Mockingbird, they understand Gregory Peck, and they get that that is a like powerhouse film yeah. from performance and writing and like accolades galore. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie, Twelve O'clock High, is it like trumps that. Like, I think To, to Kill a Mockingbird is still a masterpiece. I agree. But I, I like I put this in front of I'm with Mockingbird. You. I'm with you because you can't. You can't say To Kill a Mockingbird is not also a masterpiece. Because <laughs> no, it is. Yeah. It's this fucking titanic accomplishment of cinema. Yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. If you haven't seen that, listener, like, why are you? Why'd are you, you? How'd you find a film podcast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you stumbled on this. You're looking for, like, sock podcasts. Did you not go through high school? And if you didn't, here's what you They're missed. They're trying to fucking ban this book again, though. Bullshit. Yeah, Absolute I know, bullshit. If you did miss high school, honestly... Good on you. It kind of sucks. High school is not that fun. Right. Here's what you missed. You missed the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. Check it out. Gregory Peck is killer, but he's not even the only amazing thing about that movie. It's a, it yeah. is a, st- what is it, stem to stern? Yeah, stem to a, stern. It is a stem to stern masterpiece, but I'm with you. If you put those two movies in front of me on the table and you're like. In a shootout? 
if we were shooting those two movies out, this would be one of those rounds where it's like, okay, well, it's To Kill a Mockingbird and 12 O'Clock High. So it's clearly 12 O'Clock High. Let's, we, let's we need talk, to talk about, about To, to Kill, Kill a Mockingbird. Mockingbird. Yeah. It's so, this movie is so obviously like one of the pinnacle expressions of this particular set of ideals and emotions. This is a high point in American cinema. Yep. This is a fucking unbelievably and you know what's good wild movie. about it. This one isn't flag. It's not waving flags. This one absolutely. This one is cautionary and why we shouldn't be fighting. There's two kinds of movies. It's fucking crazy. We going four in, years after the war. Four years. That's that is probably why. Yeah. It's because the world is still close enough. Dan Carlin. We talks, had our we had our ticker tape parades. We welcomed our boys back home. Right. And then we had to like sit and think about. Wow, that was a really weird period well, the, of time. Remember what happened? But here's the thing: like, I always think about the ticker tape parade thing, where it's like the war is over, and we've all seen the footage where it's like, dan, 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 the United States won the war. Bah, 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 bah. The boys are coming the down. The newsreel on... that plays before the Looney Tunes, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. We did it. We we punched Hitler on the jaw, and we sent Germany back to blah 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 blah. blah. You it's know, Captain like America. It's yeah. ca- exactly, exactly. But the thing is, is the ticker tape parades are welcoming back that group of people. What we should really be looking at is the 10 years after the ticker tape parades are done because you what just returned to the United States is a traumatized class of people. Dude. United States dude. men aged 18 to 30 or 40. That's everybody. It's that it's the quote from here. It's like they they we'll get to it later. It's like they they these are I don't these aren't boys, they're men, but they had to find out too soon or whatever that quote is. We'll get to it, but It's such a beautiful line. But dude. if anyone wants to get they, a real-world idea yeah. of what we're talking about is no bullshit. Go and watch any episode of Band of Brothers. Find it somewhere. They have interviews that bookend every single episode with actual veterans from the war, the actual people that are the characters in that series. And you can see in every single one of their faces and in the stories that they tell, these men are old. They're in their 70s, and they still haven't recovered fully from the horrors that they that they endured while they were in the war. It's unfucking believable. And this movie is showing us four years past what the the national sort of the heartbeat was in in just starting that process of understanding what actually had happened we talked we talked about before this see before this series that there are two types of war movies one and we actually accidentally ended up watching kind of one of these there's one movie that's like all right boys we're taking that flag over the hill and I'm not go- I can't bear to look my child in the eye if I don't give my utmost on this hill and then they play like some guitar solo yeah. and the soldiers go over the hill and they've got two machine guns in each hand and American flags falling in the background and the, you know like and he's got a beard and a this cigar movie sounds like, awesome I know like we should make this but but that is a that's one type of war movie where a, a a film that aggrandizes and celebrates yeah. war, I find those particularly distasteful. Yeah, me too. I saw didn't used to, but you know what? Like now there are some that okay, okay, Predator. That's yes. not a war. Movie, I know, though. I know. That's like an elite. Well, it is, Carl. They're fighting an enemy from just not from, from the planet. He's a bounty hunter from <laughs> Tuslak or wherever the fuck. Touche. I shouldn't have pulled Predator out while we're talking about serious war films. But you know the film I'm talking about. No, I do. They're essentially recruitment tools. 
for me, especially as I get older, I could hang with them when I was a kid. Sure. Oh, Who doesn't sure. watch like, oh, look, Act of Valor. What a f- it's a good movie. Like, I hate to say this, but even this is my least favorite film on the planet. I actually load this film. American Sniper is one of the most disgusting things I've heinous, ever dude. seen committed to screen. It's disgusting. Top to bottom. It is it's fucking it's a nazi propaganda film no it really that's dressed in american yeah. colors it's fucked up to watch but but clint eastwood directed it you watch it it's not it looks great it's well shot it's well acted cooper's it's, great and everything yes. like come on you know like it's hard but you take it to task for its ideology for its particular for its particular sensibility you were talking about the 70 year old veterans interviewed for, yeah right Nobody alive today, aside from those people, has any frame of reference for what they experienced. Yeah. Nobody. We can we can read World War II history and we can be like, wow, that was fucked. That's super crazy. Reports of cannibalism in the South Pacific because men are starving to death. And not to take anything away from current military that have seen not. some shit like oh, in sure. Iraq and whatnot. There are heinous places on this planet, but I don't think there's and I don't know. I'm, that's why I'm saying I don't right, think. But right. I don't think there's any play, any place in any theater of war today that is like Peleliu or like the Ostfront in in Russia. The Russian German Ostfront is one of the most fucked thing that's that that has ever happened on Earth. Period. Like, there's too much mud, so we're going to take. A hundred thousand or fifty thousand German prisoners lay them down, spray them with water to freeze them to death, so they become a human frozen road for us to drive our artillery over. That's the like the least thing that yeah, that's, that's the, the most palatable thing one. that I could yeah. think of off the top of my head was using fifty thousand people to make a frozen road of corpses. That's the Ostfront. That's what I'm saying. Like there are crazy theaters of war today, but World War II was a different kind of thing. Yeah. And I think the worst element of World War II is what we explore in 12 O'Clock High, strategic bombing. Mm-hmm. There's a group of people called the Bomber Mafia. And these were primarily, oh God, I had this guy's name this morning. I can't remember his name, I'm sorry. Basically, it was kind of the brainchild of one man. He said that if you could drop bombs with surgical precision, that would be a more humane way to wage war. Uh, he called it high-altitude bombing, right? Right. So a lot of times bombers are coming in fairly low to hit anything because the bomb sites are just not that great. But the Americans, uh, fairly quickly into after their entry into the war, got this really interesting bomb site that it was essentially an analog computer that could right. calculate trajectories. So as you're looking down through this glass, it enabled you to hit targets from 30,000 feet. You could sort feet. of see, project into the future what the... Where, where the projectile would track, yeah. right? So it's so, not a projectile because it's not go. It's a drop tile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not projecting anything. You're really just sort of like freeform dropping things. You're they dropping did, a rock out of a out of a plane that's going like 300 miles an hour. And they do have fins to stabilize them and things right. like that. There's different classes of of um, you know bomber dropped ordnance, but these bomb sites enabled the United States for enabled anybody any military power for the first time to perform fairly precise high-altitude bombing. And the military philosophy was called strategic bombing. You bomb the economies 
of other nations. Ball bearing factories. Yeah. Which is what it is in 12 o'clock high. But it's like, if there's a factory that's producing guns, we bomb that. Now they can't make their guns. We bomb. Okay, wait. Then in this one, like, the hardest bombing run they have to do is a ball bearing factory. Because they're like, if we take out their ball bearing production, they can't do anything. They can't make shit. They can't make shit. They can't make machines to make machines. Half their machines require ball bearings because there's wheels and tracks. We take this out, a lot of their explosives. We eliminate a huge portion of their production. That was the idea, is you go and bomb these military industrial sites to damage military production. And the people who believed in this, the bomber mafia, you can look that up. These yeah. are this kind of interesting read, but those people believed that this was a more humane way to wage war because it would limit civilian casualties. Yeah. It would cripple your opponent more quickly, so it would end the war faster. This idea eventually started evolving unfortunately right. into something As it always does well the the luftwaffe employed an, a sort of version of this well they did more like carpet bombing so well, it's called they're called uh, area bombing yeah so area bombing is pretty fucked up and the luftwaffe did it but you know what let's not let's not play around the united states did it too sure. the firebombing of tokyo the worst the single worst bombing event in the history of the world we did that to tokyo well, I'm going to talk about that in a second, too. Because, no, Carl, why the fuck not, dude? This shit is important, and it's wild. Yep. So the Luftwaffe used to just bomb cities. Because what they were trying to do was break civilian morale. Think about that for a second. You have a military whose primary target is civilian centers with the express goal of generating maximum casualties. Yeah. Because if you lose 20,000 civilians in a bombing run... But the rest of the civilians in your country are going to be like, are we sure we want to be right, fucking exactly. fighting these people? We just lost a small, like a medium-sized town. So that is kind of what, and strategic bombing, daylight strategic bombing did ultimately happen. That's what you see in 12 o'clock high. Yeah, this sure movie is based on real events, real people. There's people in here that I. Isn't this in the point? In the war where they were starting to determine that that was the route to take, were these strategic daylight bombing runs in particular? Yes, because of this glass bomb site. Right. They were able, again, they're able to get above the flak ceiling because they were able right. to drop bombs from like 20,000 feet, 25,000 feet. Now, that wasn't super accurate. And at one point in this film, you get the like the 9,000 foot order so they can really make sure they're hammering that. Of course, you're going to suffer more losses, right. but you're always going to But we're be- under the flak ceiling, so we're going to take a lot of shit. Yeah, well, you get down like 9,000 feet. It's just like now you're almost in the range of like ground just artillery. Ground fire, yeah. like someone shooting a gun off <laughs> their roof. Like, I mean, 9,000 feet is kind of, yeah, but yeah, you're like, you're, you're pretty low. At, you can almost get a bow and arrow. You do, if you're in a bomber, you don't want to be at 9,000 no, feet. Dude, like, not, everyone who's bummed about that order, that's, that's pretty they real. They had a legit gripe. Yeah, they're like, are you fucking? They sent it up the chain, but they fucking and it got sent pumped. right back well, down. No, the train. they didn't fucking send it. That shit. Well, they do take it they to the pause. high command. Well, they're like, they, is it really nine thousand feet? And he's right, like, yeah. absolutely, it's nine thousand feet. And the guy's like, uh, okay, okay, that's awful. That you're that's a bad decision, but it's your order. So, Ooh, man, war is hell. Yeah. Um. So what we what this ultimately ends up being is. What we find out, because America does it, mm-hmm. and on behalf of the English, in a way, because the English took a pounding during the bombings of London. So America gets into this. We do the strategic bombing thing. We fly B-17 bombers, which that's one thing about this movie that 
you, I just love is those planes are gorgeous. Yeah, they're beautiful. Horrifying. With weapons of war, for sure. Like to see a plane that size with just gun barrels bristling everywhere and knowing the payload that they carry, like that, it's horrible because that thing that beautiful cool majestic powerful interesting looking thing it's is a, crew a weapon. 10 two to fly and eight to make things blow up yep or put holes in yep. them pilot co-pilot two waste gunners a tail gunner a ball turret gunner a bubble gunner on the top and, and a, a nose bombardier and a bombardier <laughs> yeah, dude. up front yeah man like the b-17 crews this by the way is what jimmy stewart did i we've we've talked about it forever but listener if you didn't know that the, it's a wonderful life jimmy stewart that man what served in World War II in a bomb unit in the That's 8th Air Force. The insane. people that you are watching in this movie, 12 O'Clock High, Jimmy Stewart was one of them. It's nuts. <laughs> it's fucking nuts, Carl. Um, so, really quick, the, the, yeah. the little cap at the end of this is strategic bombing kind of, and the Air Force still applauds this idea today. Me personally, I find it kind of reprehensible. Where this ended up was Harvard University invents near the end of the war 1943-1944 invents napalm and they invented napalm specifically to burn asian cities to the ground and here's why in japan the army had figured out very early on that their buildings were made out of bamboo and rice paper and they were like and they were very close to each other they're kind of built on top of one another so the military intelligence looked at that and said oh Whereas London is made of like brick and stone and most of the cities in Germany are, they're hard to burn because yeah. nothing's flammable. Japanese cities, in particular Japanese cities, were built to be burned to the ground. And Harvard invented napalm. They gave it over to, I wish I could remember this fucking guy's name because it's one man that essentially did all of this. They give it over to that guy who was kind of running the Air Corps at that point, and they do. You can look up the World War II United States fire bombings of Tokyo. Killed more people than the bomb at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's wild, man. Just dropping napalm. So there's no explosive concussive force that's killing people on the ground. Everything burned. Every fire you burned. can't put out. Like, Here's the deal. number. It just, just keep, just here. I'm sorry that it's horrible, but a hundred thousand civilian casualties in the tokyo fire bombings a hundred thousand world war ii is never going to be like a funny haha topic no to of talk course about, not no. But like but dude this is and i know like during covid i i really started studying war history because because I think that it provides a lot of the context for how the world works oh now. absolutely and without studying it it's like you you can't really see where the current pieces came from it gives it a lot of perspective night so it's not it's not like the tokyo bombings were like five times worse than hiroshima because hiroshima killed i believe the hiroshima death toll is ninety thousand. so it's neighborhood of but think about that dude we, we dropped two atomic bombs and neither of them was as deadly as strategic firebombing that's horrible so anyway, th that listener, all of that, like me being like, and isn't it bad? And shouldn't this be a war crime? And it is technically like the Hague is considering the two bombings in, ja in yeah. Japan, whether or not those are going to be considered war crimes, like crimes against humanity. Well, civilian population. Yeah. For one. Here's So to give you one more piece of fairly horrible context, I'm so sorry, listener. Um, what, before we start talking about the events of 12 o'clock high, which remember, we're not 
a lot of times Carl and I are like, well, remember when it's a movie. This is a movie. This is all very historically accurate, down this, to the letter, written by the fucking guy that did the shit. Yeah. Um. Actually, that would be a fun thing to learn about right this very moment. Um, put it on the back side of the... I did, the yep. back side of the second page. So the screenwriter, Cy Bartlett, the guy who wrote this movie, he and his writing partner, they wrote the book, 12 O'Clock High as well. But specifically that one of those two, Cy Bartlett was the first American to drop a bomb over Nazi Germany. The guy who wrote this movie dropped the first bomb on Germany. Think about so it's safe to say they know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, this about. is pretty historically accurate. So, like, I know. I know that, like, coming into all this was very heavy, but, like, this is what you... They address exactly what I'm talking about. All of, the, like, how heinous this shit is. How truly upsetting what the uh, what they, air quotes, accomplished was is important understanding that context so in masters of the air they talk about the bombardier boy the bomb boys arriving at base to fly these b-17s and there's there's this one sergeant who would start every group with the same speech he would say and this is all in masters of the air by donald donald l miller many men recall this speech he the gist of it is essentially this i don't want you boys having any illusions you are here to do a job and it will be hard work you are, it will, he said it will not be glorious. You are going to be baby killers and women killers. And there's nothing you can do about it. So it's better just to get it done. Wow, dude. That's how they broke these guys in. You are dropping bombs on civilian population centers. Yep. You're going to kill children. You're going to kill women because all the men are elsewhere fighting. What you are doing is you're damaging morale by killing innocent people. That's how they started these groups and it's fucked because this movie carl massively to its credit in 1949 addresses that head on yeah it sure does man that's the other kind of world war ii movie or that's the other kind of war War movie movie, period yeah it shows you the war and it doesn't go like and here's why you should sign up today it's it shows you war and it's like here's why we got to figure out how to never have to do this Mm -hmm. ever again with also not doing the other side of that which which is like this is horrible, and this is why you should like. They're not rubbing your face yes, in it either. You can do the hippie peacenik war movie too, and it's kind of gross to watch. Yep, it is. You know it doesn't what I mean? feel great. Show me this where they're just telling the story. Yes, and letting you decide where you land on it. Yes, dude, and it, it nails it. And this it does. one, it's almost not fair to a bridge no. too far that we watched this right before it. I was wondering that had I spun bridge. <sighs> first right like as a, like a soft start to because that's but is gonna be just fine yeah in fact we got to find a way to, i really want to watch that with you i've watched it twice already in I the would, last month i would love to i want to spin that with you i, I think it's important i'm with you because it's one of the i had i have never seen das boot i had never seen this film either right so i've seen i mean world war ii movies everyone's seen saving private ryan right hacksaw ridge is lots of fun oh my god yeah. it's actually really yeah. good dude andy whitfield kind of kills it but like Fury is pretty good, but all of those movies kind of do not so much Saving Private Ryan, but the other two do kind of lean into like the and you too could be an American right. hero if you just. It's the poster for the like the recruiting center. But when I was a really young kid, my dad took me in theaters to go and see Flags of Iwo Jima, and it was like no let it's called Letters from Iwo Letters Jima. from Iwo Jima. The other one is Flags of Our Fathers. Yeah. So Letters from Iwo Jima. I saw that when I was a kid. I never saw Flags from My Fathers until years later. But my dad was like, "Here, let's go see a war movie." And I was like, "Right on, right?" Because I was, you know, sixteen, mm-hmm. lifting weights super hard or whatever. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, rah rah, right on, and USA." You're following a Japanese 
and he takes you to like here's what it was like to be trapped in these caves as the united states took island after island after island here's what mass suicide looked like here was oh the seppuku that's fucking rough dude it's wild so like I, that's why I'm so excited to see Das Boot is one of the things that most interest, interests me about war is the viewpoint of the end. What was it like? Not for the not for the fucking like military high command because right. that's all ideology and dogma. Right. What was it like for the people who were fighting that dogmatic war? The people who were pushed through these like cheese grater yeah. blenders f- to serve like some what commandant somewhere yeah yeah. right like there's anyway i'm very excited to see the uh, the perspective of a german sub crew because seeing a a non-biased look at what it was like to be a japanese soldier in a cave or a foxhole on iwo jima during that invasion was very eye-opening it's one of those types of movies, like this kind of movie this Mm -hmm. movie where you're like where you see the bomber crew come back and everyone's not like we lost some men today, but that's just this war. Is why we fight. You we... see people break. You see people question the ideology of high command in this movie. You see people. Oh, I the can... whole fucking squadron, like all request transfer. Let's start with this. For the Medal of Honor winner. Let's start with or the, his candidate. Let's start with the opening little <laughs> caveats yes. to the film before the movie even fucking starts. This motion. This this is. I'm reading a, a picture of a screen. This motion picture is humbly dedicated to those Americans, both living and dead, whose gallant effort made possible daylight precision bombing. They were the only Americans fighting in Europe in the fall of 1942. They stood alone against the enemy and against doubts from home and abroad. This is their story. Accent, theirs, not mine. That's interesting. Against doubts from home and abroad, because that's one thing you learn as you read about this is most people did not like the idea of strategic bombing. Military high command didn't like it because they didn't think they could pull it off. And the citizenry didn't like it because they're like... Aren't you killing other people that aren't bad guys? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, listener? Major spoilers. If you haven't watched this movie yet, and I recommend strongly that mm-hmm. you do, you actually see strategic bombing for real. For real. In this movie. Yeah, all of the shit that you... Uh, the only war footage you see is the actual... Oh, go ahead. Read, please. The air battle scenes in this motion picture were photographed in actual combat accent theirs by members of the united states air force and the german luftwaffe there's german footage in here too (coughs) everything you see get shot or shot down in this movie you are watching footage of world war ii happening every time a b-17 goes down that's 10 people that's 10 people when you see sometimes you can see the people bail out but but then fuck who knows sometimes you don't yeah and yeah dude like that's the other thing is when you're looking at the skies in the background and there's acres of flak and there's dozens of like, uh, is it the, the Germans had the Spitfires? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Do you see like dozens of German Spitfires like coming in in the, in the background? They may, even if you survive, you're not having a great time of no. it. No, dude. <laughs> oh and God. like the injuries they describe in this movie. Oh, sick, dude. What I, and I, it's interesting that you would say sick because I would say fairly tame based on like what you read and hear oh, about sure. like the actual inju- like and these are horrible injuries but not even a fraction of like th- th- there's a I love the doctor character who keeps coming back over and over again and because the high command keeps talking about this thing called maximum effort which I think is funny cuz Deadpool stole it I know that. Deadpool took it <laughs> which is kind of sick in its own way yeah. but 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 fitting for that character but like 
they keep talking about maximum effort. One of the things this this film explores, and I actually have a note about it somewhere in here, is how much can a man give? How much can one enlisted person give before they are absolutely broken and therefore useless to you? And how do we extract that right to the red line out of every single thing soldier. is that's what they've been trying to figure out and tweak in the military since the beginning of time. If you don't mind me, at- different oh, leadership. Ahead. I mean, that's what it is, and that's what boot camp is all about too. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the first test to see like how far can I push this person, and are they going to be able to like hack it when the real shit hits the fan? Right, right. So they're constantly, and that's that's one of the great things about this flick and the the Frank um, character right. is he has a ver- very particular leadership style, which came <laughs> out of nowhere for me. I thought he was going to maybe go easy on him because morale is super low when he first takes over the command. Scrape the bottom of the barrel, yeah, yeah. Awful. But he what he didn't like. He he is a fucking hard ass man all the way out, all the he's way a out. Clint Eastwood war movie. Yep, character. but he's not that. Chewing cigar, hard ass knuckle. He just calmly and concisely tells him how the fuck it is. Gregory Peck, Frank Savage, incredible, yeah. outstanding. Some of the most like you have the Patton speech, the in the the very beginning of Patton. Yeah, yeah. George yeah. C. Scott, yeah, 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 one yeah. Of like just one of the top five most incredible <laughs> yes. fucking things you ever will see in your life. In your life backdrop is the uh, american the flag. most big american flag that's you, a great scene man yeah that's you have such a good movie. you have that and then you have kenneth branagh doing the saint crispin's day speech in henry v yep one of the most incredible rousing like we're about to fucking go to war and we're all gonna die we're outnumbered five to one and then you've got and you gregory, gregory peck. fucking peck in the shortest of all of those Paragraph. saying the same shit but it's so punctual it's just you're getting that military brevity and he's like straight up like you guys are gonna die go ahead and get used to that and then come see me later or whatever it's just like here's what he says so you guys should watch the movie here's the here's the gist of the the very basic gist of the plot honestly what this film is more about is how a commander can change the dynamics of a group turn it around restructure an organization from the bottom up instill confidence and pride in his men. And I think the pride... And also discovers his breaking point. Yes. In tra- Which to me is the most... Well, he realizes that these dudes are not going to give 100% unless they see leadership doing the same. So yeah. he starts ponying up and going on bombing runs with them. And he's hanging tough for a while, but he's been... After a certain point, he's been there too long and he starts forming personal attachments like all of these men have. Yep. And there's really Which he gives them shit for and changes their fucking bunk. Like, all Dude, right, everyone has new roommates now. I love that yeah. moment because he's like, "You care an awful lot about John and Joe, don't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, well, he's my roommate." He was my roommate. That's so why I goes, went to. He goes cover his ass. Corporal so and so, immediate drop in an order immediately effective that changes that reassigns everybody's bunkmate. And he's like, "You can't form personal attachments." But I love that over the course of this movie, we see him essentially become one of the men, yeah. and then he. As soon as he does that, he starts to suffer like one of the men mm-hmm. and ultimately breaks like one of the Dude, men. Dude, that fucking hospital scene where he's chief in a smoke going to like talk to the boys and he turns around just before he has that moment to himself before he goes into the hospital. Yeah. 
Where oh my god! Just kicks me in the guts. He heads for the door and he right can't before go he gets, in. He's like, no, 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 no. And he turns back and he's like, all right, all right. And he's smoking his. He's kind of like nervously smoking that cigarette. And he's like, what do I? Because who he's taught? He's gonna go and talk to Ben. Yep. Ben, uh, great, greatly is that his name? I think so. But he he's gonna go and talk to this dude. Here's the basic plot, listener. Yeah, just so We're, you know. Yeah. No, my God, it's hard not to. Yeah, man. This is a movie. I just want to watch it again. Me too. Right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I would, sp- if if listener, if I could bring all of you to my home and we could all watch Twelve O'clock High together and it. then talk for four hours afterwards. This is one of those. Holy shit! But here's the basic plot. There's this guy. I can't remember his last name, but there's this the other CEO, Keith. Yeah, I don't know his. Yeah, everyone's like Ben, Keith, John, Frank. You know, so that's right. how I've got him. But like, the current CEO of the of the, the eighth uh, fighter. Yes, squadron. the nine eighteenth. Yeah, the nineteenth. So it's the it's well, it's eighth Air Force, and it's the right. nine hundred eighteenth division, and they're the B seventeen bomber squad, and they've got bad luck, right? So they keep going out on missions. There's twenty one planes to a mission. Typically, that's their formation. And they're losing planes every time. Men are dying. Every they're having trouble fixing shit up. They're having trouble staffing because so many they people can't are hit getting their killed. Fucking they're not hitting the target. Yeah, and and what's happening is this guy, who's their current CEO, Keith. It, he's kind of they say they claim that he's over-identified with the men because what yeah. he keeps telling the high brass is he's like, you can't work the men this hard. They're flying bombing runs every day. They're like five, four days in a row at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're like, oh shit, that was a really rough one. And they're like, well, get ready tomorrow, eight a.m. Yeah. And they're like, what do you muster at eight? Yeah. They're like, what? We have another bombing run tomorrow, and you can see the morale just fall apart on these dudes. So here's the the basic gist: is Keith gets fired because he's having a crack up. That's true. He's being insubordinate to his high command. Yep. And you're in the military. You can't do that. No. That's not how the military works. I'm sorry. I agree with Keith. You kind of the viewer like looks and they're like, yeah, no, it makes sense. Keith yeah. is fucking right, you know. <laughs> you're not wrong, right, Keith. It, but it's the military, Keith, so you can't really do that, or you're gonna get court-martialed, yes. or you're gonna get the chain of, your of command exists for a very important reason, right? So this higher-up general puts Gregory Peck, Frank Savage, uh, a general, which that's a little unrealistic. The general would never fly bombing runs with the men, not fucking ever. That would never happen. But it's a movie. So, and by the way, the, all these people that we're talking about are based on real people. Some of the ranks are different, but right. all of these, all this crew, these are all real people who historically did the shit we see them do in this film. It's pretty astounding. So Frank Savage comes down, he takes over, and he is like a hard-ass motherfucker. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to describe him, dude. He's he's like an iron person. It's all business, like... Oh, brutal. He's like steely. Steely. And by the way, the other text I sent you, Gregory Peck, for those that don't... Handsome man. He's a very attractive gentleman. He's a good-looking fellow. And his voice... Amazing. Holy shit. I'm with you. What the (laughs) fuck? Again, I've seen Mockingbird. No, I feel... I no, don't. I'd, I, I don't believe that these if these boys can't stand up on their own, then you know, like if these boys can't stand up on their own, then we're a dead duck, and yeah. we might as well know it right now. Like so beautiful. Greg, it has a melody to it. It doesn't hurt that he's attractive and he has oh, a no. great voice. He's like six foot three and but, sexiest of but, all cigarettes dude, ever. Maybe like yeah. one after another, but there's more to like. Yeah, this is this is truly this is. This is a crazy performance. Yep. It's really got breadth to it. It's it's perfectly paced and timed. And everybody in this 
everybody in this is good at least. And I'm talking about like the guy who plays the guard. Right. All the main characters are truly great. Well, because Every- they're all great. I mean, they, they're all like seasoned actors. I, There's not I'm a sorry, I've never read a bunch, cast list man. for this. So this film is directed by Henry King, starring Gregory Peck, Hugh Marlowe, Gary Merrill, Robert Arthur, Paul Stewart, John Kellogg, Robert Patton. Robert Patton. Hmm. Millard Mitchell and Dean Jagger. We've got to shout out Paul Mance. He's the stuntman who does one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. He crashes a B-17 for real. For real. Comes in on a hard turn, low landing, wheels up. Wheels up. A low landing. You hope it's a low landing. We're going to call this a low landing. That's a crash, bro. (laughs) Yeah. He did. It was the most anyone at that. We said it was was the the most anyone had ever been paid for a stunt at the time. And for a long while after that, yeah, forty five hundred bucks they paid him in cash. Forty five hundred bucks cash. It's like which in cliffhanger, which we money used to like. About- <laughs> what you, we used to joke about that watching these old movies with these stunts. Yeah. Like, hey, we'll give you fifty bucks a sandwich and an extra can of beer. They essentially did that with this dude. Yeah, they're like, we want to see this for real on film. Do you think you can do it? Yeah, we'll give you forty five hundred forty five hundred bucks to go ahead and we got forty five hundred bucks. <laughs> If you live. Right. And fucking Paul Mance is like, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. And he crashed a B-17. Dude, it's amazing. You watch it come down and you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Well, dude, let me me tell you, man. I worked three of my years in active military service was on an airfield in Norfolk, Virginia. as part of a training squadron and the anti-terrorist team over there. So um, I've seen planes, big boys come down with one landing gear not both not like i've seen the shit for real yeah yeah and like that shit's fucking scary as shit dude yeah i'm and to see that bird come in i'm like they're gonna actually fucking belly flop that fuck they did they're okay (laughs) they did did. i'm like ah that's that person has broken both of their fucking legs like right into the right into the ground like and it's like it's a it's beautiful yeah it's truly beautiful like he glides right in smooth as butter but the anxiety that i was experiencing was like very real at it the is time. definitely a best stunt i like had a, i had a flashback to the the fucking c-130 that belly flopped on on and shut down chambers field for like two days yeah because this thing fucking like i mean put a hole in the goddamn in like the tarmac? in the tarmac well, yeah there's dude planes are huge oh, i don't know if you've ever been up you know in an airplane, in an airplane before they're pretty big <laughs> yes i did mad shout out to the stunt man guy crashed a plane as a stunt just that's what he like, did legit not a stunt plane just a cra- b-17 he crashed a b-17 bomber into the earth so it sounds easy just don't put the wheels down yeah leave the wheels up and land it that's what he, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he does God it's fucking nuts to see screenplay by sid Bart- <sighs> uh bartlett by the way as we mentioned, actual bomber pilot and Bjorn Lay Jr., those guys authored the book, 12 O'Clock High, upon which this film is based. So, yeah. So that's that's kind of how this the starts. The plot is, is very... It isn't the important part. No. At all. It's, it's the bombing not. runs aren't the important part. Because we don't see anything. Until the end, when they when they go up on their sorties, like, we see some of that footage where we get those... Get the actual World War II, like, cockpit footage. Right. Right. Okay. The kind of footage that inspired Lucas to do fucking Star Wars was the was that the B7, World War II. B-17 yeah, the footage. Dog, dog, dog fightings and shit, yeah. Okay, I wanted to ask you about this because yeah. 
one of the most because you see that at the beginning of the movie all the combat footage is actual combat footage from the german luftwaffe and the english b-17 bomber boys right all that is real everything you see you're watching world war ii happen right so you don't you for, almost forget about it because like you said they go off on bombing missions and then we watch a lot of people waiting nervously the planes start coming back ask for the count how many did we lose? 19 went out we're waiting for 19 to come back here's a little stat for all of y'all the eighth air force during 1944, only one out of every four men in those bomber units could expect to see the end of their tour of duty, which was 25 combat missions. That means three out of every four men in that bombing unit died. That is the kind of casualties we are fucking talking about. It gives a new meaning to the word attrition, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> like see, I'm how so... many do they have to send up? How many do we have to send up? You know what's funny? Not funny. I should never use that no. word to describe what I'm about to say, but strategic bombing was designed to take... Because in the olden days, you would have infantry. They would, you know, like, we're going to penetrate into here. We're going to take this bridge. We're going to yeah, hold this bridge. Pikemen and archers and cavalry, like... Well, yeah, in wars previous to World War One, World War One is really the first war of attrition. And that's mm-hmm. partly what scared everyone so much is they're like, this is senseless. Right. This is slaughter. It's this is only about war. how many people do we have to send into the meat grinder. Exactly. Attrition, for those of you who don't know, a war of attrition is exhausting all of your enemy's capabilities. If your enemy has a has a million men, and most armies have like 50 million men or 60 million men, especially when they're like beefed, really heavily right. beefed up. How many of those men can you kill? Can you kill them all? Can you wipe out... Okay, actually, we here's something screwy. We did this in the Korean War. We bombed so many of those... of What is now North Korea. So many Korean cities completely to rubble that we ran out of targets. There was nowhere left to bomb because that... We bombed it every... We bombed yeah. everything. At that we point, it's not it attrition. It's, it's... Genocide. A holocaust. It's, it's a, a holocaust. Yeah. yeah. We killed like... 40% or something of the North Korean population? It, I, that number might be wrong, but look it up. It's When you read the number, it's disgusting. It might be as much as half. But we killed a lot of people in that war, and that is a great example of what a war of attrition is. World War One is probably the best yeah, example. Yeah, the best example. Which is, okay, they've got 500 tanks, and we have 600 tanks. So if we kill 500 and they kill 500, we'll still be left with 100, so, so we, we win. win. That is a war of attrition. Strategic bombing was meant to get rid of that. They're yeah. like, okay, what's happening? You can't, uh, you can't, you, you have to return. The idea was you have to return the power to the offense. You have to be able to make a strike because if it's two ground armies and you've got machine guns and you've got mortars and you've got artillery and you've got tanks, anybody who attacks anybody is going to get slaughtered. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, all right, we're going to, here's an offensive. Tara was a perfect example. Like, we got to take this island. How do we take it though? There's like all these machine gun stuff. There's there's they're really well they're fortified. Embedded, yeah. They're embedded. Like how do we take Tarawa? Okay, here's how we do it. We're going to dump so many marines onto the beach that they won't physically be able to kill them all and then we'll eventually That's what happened in Normandy, bro. Yeah, that yes. You dump enough fucking soldiers onto that beach, they can't kill them all. Correct. It's like ants running up a Sick. hill. That is dude but that that is attritional warfare. Yep. That's where that's where your strategy becomes. We have enough to push through. I think we have more people than they have bullets. That's the fucking idea behind Tarawa. And then you read how many Marines died in the mm-hmm. water. Because here's what happened. The Marines get off the boats half a mile from shore, and they start wading through chest-high water. 
and all around them are Japanese machine gun positions. Yep. So what happens is that you, you know what's really fucked up? You read the survivors' accounts and you're like, that's no, that's insane. You really want to mess yourself up? Read the gunners' accounts. Mm. Read the German gunners and the Japanese gunners who fought in in situations like this. The Japanese gunners on Tarawa, this that wrecked them. They're like, I would just, I would just hold down the trigger and like swipe the gun Spray. back and forth. And he's like, I wa I I watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of American. Remember, these are like 17, 18, 19 year old. These are kids. Yep. And he's like, I watched hundreds. I found the quote, by the way. The the big We're speech. Talking about boys. There will be a bre- oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, actually, this would be a great time to read it. Yeah. So they're they're having some some brief chatter, and uh, someone refers to the the men as boys. He keeps Same. saying the hey the boys are he's going. Like, you on can't a- ride the boys. You can't hard ride the boys that hard. And and uh, Frank Savage says, I don't think they're boys. They're men. Too bad they have to find out so young. It's an amazing it's the fucking quote. line, and I like fucking this. I lo- I had to pause the fucking movie. There's dude. a lot of times I had to do that. Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh shit! It's... And that's why this movie is so brilliant because it's giving us lines like that. That's it gives putting you... it all into perspective, and it's what we we. It's what I love about this this movie is that this movie. Now there are movies where you watch it and they show you war, and it's just to condemn war, right? Which I'm behind because sure. I firmly believe. Firm, I firmly believe that war is the single worst thing that we do. I to came ourselves. up with a quote last night. Yes. Do you write? Did you write I it think down? I did. Hold on. I have I have it in a text message form, but I can pretty much remember what you said. So the quote that uh, that I sent you from me, I came up with it. <laughs> it was like this well, is my you. yeah. My lead up to the quote was like these. My thoughts were like we humans are so intelligent, and we have such a capacity for for discovery and advances in technology and the like. I was thinking about that when they started to actually show us footage of. Like the amount of technology and innovation that was required to like create these B-17s and to be able to do these precision bombings, like there's so much creativity involved in creating a successful war. The guy who invented, we talked about the bomb site earlier. Yeah. That guy was just a civilian inventor. His wife used to make fun of him. She called him a merchant of death. And he said until the day he died, the reason he made those bomb sites was so that the war would end faster and so that the bombs would be more likely to fall on their intended military targets and kill less civilians so my thought was imagine what we could have accomplished in the last 2000 years had we dedicated our time and energy to theaters other than war yeah like it blows my fucking mind how much energy and time and and creativity for how how can we how can we make a thing to kill the most people in the shortest amount of time right or Think about the fucking wild. think about the amount of intelligence, knowledge, collaboration, and ingenuity it yeah. took over the course of half a decade or more to invent the atomic bomb. Yeah. Now, if you put all that brain power and resources and aimed it at anything else, anything, don't even care as Whatever long it as is. it isn't war. Point it at that. Making making trees happy. I don't know. Like I'm all for that. You know I'm making all for a making more trees tastier happy. apple. Let's save some bees, bro. Let's make a tastier apple. I don't even give a shit. Yep. As long as it's not, could we could we end the planet if we wanted to? Sure. Like why? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, Freud had some ideas about that. Sure but did. No, I when you sent me that, that is a, I that struck me as so profound. And I think that that was the turning point for me. Like 
I've been on, like I said, I've been on this war kick and always have been. Like, I love war movies. I just do. But I also understand what they're doing. Yeah. Like, I, I see... I see the man behind the curtain pulling the strings, you know, like yeah. to, to elicit a response from me. I wanted to ask, but you. I'm also kind of okay with it. But I don't know. Is is halfway through this movie, and, and it was after it's after the boys come come back, the boys, and he and he said that that line about they're not boys, they're men. Too bad, too they, bad had they had to find out so, so young. young. I'm like, shit. No, this is all just a fucking waste of shit. Like it is. Yeah, that. That's the word that I always come back to when I'm watching any war movie is yeah. waste because like the the thing that you read over and over again in like war memoirs isn't like I remember the glory of climbing to the top of the mountain. That's the thing we forget is like when we're fed these narratives, most of the time it's not veterans feeding us that narrative. Right. When you listen to people who lived through World War Two, people who lived through Vietnam, people who lived through World War One, it's horror. W- yeah, like Wilfred Owen, he's a famous poet that lived through World War One. You read the shit that they produce, and they all say the same thing. There's always a moment. One of my favorite books of all time is "With the Old Breed" by E. B. Sledge. It's a World War Two memoir from a mortar. Uh, he was part of a mortar company, mm-hmm. and the thing that he said, and you hear it echoed again and again. There's a amazing book i wish i could remember what it was called it's called like um like fallen blossoms or something like that it's it's correspondence home from peep from uh world war ii japanese kamikaze pilots who were at training camp to be kamikazes writing home and they all say the same fucking thing every one of them says there's a there's always a moment where they're in usually in battle and looking around and they're struck sick with the absolute and utter senseless waste of war they keep they look around and they're like i'm looking around at fields of dead young people mm-hmm. 18 year olds it's a lost potential and and and, and stolen eb sledge fucking one of his best friends in his unit wanted to be a brain surgeon talked about it all the time and then one day eb sledge finds him this guy is like they call him sledgehammer one day sledge finds him in a foxhole shot through the head with his brain hanging out and this dude had talked to him like day after day about how fascinated he was by the human mind and its electrical con- connections and mm. how it functioned. And then you find him in a hole with his brains puddled under him. That is the that's the that is the that's the thesis of war. Right. You're looking at that's what war is. Anybody who thinks it's flag waving or like now, obviously, I should probably clarify at this point that I'm actually not anti-military. I think it's. I think that a, like strong defense is important. I'm a realist. We live in a dangerous world with yep. dangerous people in it. Used, used with the used correctly. Yeah, it's just like anything. Like the clarifying thing is, I'm pro-military, but anti-war. I'm anti. Yeah, anti-war, pro-military. I think that's a fair. Like I got no problem with the people, the people who are are pushed into these situations and who are dying and look obviously there's going to be a couple of shit heels in any bag of people that you throw together you know like a hundred artists in a bag and half of those people are shitheads too right that's all i'm saying it's just people people suck sometimes but a lot of people are awesome too right my big problem is with all the people in the suits in the quiet rooms who decide which poor countries we want to dominate here's the big difference the big difference, Carl, and because I watch, I like war movies. They horrify and disgust me, but they're important. To I think watch. I like them so much because they give me an appreciation for, like, 
the sacrifice that other people made for me to be able to enjoy the things that I currently am able to enjoy. I'm interested in the perspectives. Like the privileges that I have that yeah. are, you know. I'm I like I don't to know. I'm I'm interested in watching the perspectives on those events. Yeah. How is this person going to translate the untranslatable and show it to me? 12 o'clock high, probably one of the best ways it's ever been done. I think so. You know what I mean? Like yeah. American Sniper, clearly one of the worst ways that it's ever be, been well, done. That would be, well, that's a, a Bottom good, of the barrel. Yeah. But a beautiful, beautifully shot film. Clint Eastwood's a good director, dude. It's dude, horrible. I love to, say, to hate Clint Eastwood. His politics are his shit. politics but, are not great. Dude. <laughs> I'll watch every single one of his fucking movies because he's a, a movie. brilliant actor and a brilliant fucking Million filmmaker. Million Dollar Baby is one for, of the best boxing movies maybe Except ever. for maybe uh, Unforgiven. But, uh, You're out of your mind. Listener, go listen to Unforgiven. It's fucking outstanding and oh I explain God. why clearly to this fool. And I, I feel like I explain <laughs> clearly why that movie is bullshit. I mean, Carl was wrong. I was right. But you can go and judge, <laughs> you can go judge for yourself on our episode on Unforgiven. Um, oh, but this is a perfect time to talk about this because we're talking okay. about like the young people, right? So Major Harvey Stovall has a wild quote in here. It's the getting drunk quote. Yeah. Oh, you have it? I do. Because I have it too. Because I no, I had to go back. Well, because I had to go I went back frame by frame. Read it. For like okay. So we have have to give a little bit of context. Context. So this dude got drunk early in the in the picture. And he got kind of like you can't be drunk. After Keith gets the boot. Right. And Savage comes Comes in. He gets drunk. He's like, Are you drunk? He's like, Yes, I am drunk. And, and and he gives his excuse why or whatever. Right, like, he goes, it's possible that I will become drunk again at some, at some point day, in yeah. the future. <laughs> so so then he sobers up and whatever. We don't tag that back until an hour and ten minutes later when they're talking about maximum effort and again. And this guy's not a bomber. Crew. No, no. He's, he's like a chaplain or something or, or like a doctor. He's kind of like an admin, really. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's sort of like the assistant to Air Command, who exactly. is Savage. Savage yeah. is that guy. This is basically his, like right-hand man exactly this guy's working closely with him to help manage this unit of people and this guy has a close relationship with both Keith. he's the one that writes all the letters home yes i don't know if we said this on mic so i should say it because we, yeah. we talked about it other elsewhere but that detail of this guy taking the time to write an individual letter home to the family of every single casualty not the copy paste uh dear sir or ma'am the department of no. defense regrets to inform you letter this is a he shows up in Masters of the Air, the book by Donald L. Miller. Oh wow, dude! He wrote because he didn't want it to. He didn't want even the the idea that this was a copy pasted letter to enter the people's head, enter any of these families' heads. He wouldn't even use a typewriter. No, Every letter is handwritten, longhand. No copies or records of these letters were maintained. He said this was a personal thing between him and these family members, and he wrote every single letter himself. Remember. A crew of 10 pilots each of these B-17s. Mm-hmm. When you lose five planes, that's 50 letters that you have to write. Five planes is not that On many your own letters. time. On your own time. Yeah. That's this guy. That's who yep. we're talking about. So Savage and Co. are having a post-bombing briefing and chatting about the next day and casually talking about maximum effort. And uh, and our boy says effort, maximum effort. Like he's just like you do when you're drunk. And, like, and Savage calls him out. He said... Are you drunk again? Are you drunk again, Stovall? And he's got that sort of like, ha he's drunk again. And Stovall's response is, uh, so this, is, th- this line is in response to Peck saying he's drunk because he has to see the boys come and go. And he has to fill out, he says, all those stinking papers. Is the what, letters. Yeah, the yeah. letters. But he, 
Peck refers to them as all those stinking papers. When you, and he says earlier, when did you get into paperwork? Exactly. So he kind of gives him shit for it a little bit, which is interesting. Pause really quick. I yeah. think that what Savage is doing is he's... Gaining distance? Yes. Yeah. He's not acknowledging the personal nature of what Stovall's Because that gets under his armor, which we see happen at the end of the film. Well, I think it's important to point out in this scene, Savage is cracking a little because yeah. Savage likes really likes this other um, bomber captain named Joe. I can't remember his yeah. last name. It might be Bishop, Joe Bishop. I think it's Bishop. I call him Bish in my notes. Yeah. I think it's Bishop. So he forms a close personal relationship against his own advice with this guy, yeah. Joe Bishop, and he watches his bomber get shot down during yeah. a hectic bombing raid. Yeah. And when he gets back, this is one of those brilliant Gregory Peck performance God moments because yeah. he comes back and he's like when he gets in the other high command guys all go like hey man we were sorry about what happened to Joe and Gregory Peck like shrugs off his bomber jacket and he's like that's the way it goes sometimes you know it's a hard deal pours himself a drink and yeah, there's a really interesting not everyone can play an emotion with a secret motivation that behind hidden that. yeah Robin showing Williams, that layer of oh my Robin God. Williams is a master of it. So, like it's, it's yep. all of there are many there are good actors who can do this. Michael Fassbender does this yeah. all the time. Daniel yeah. Day Lewis, even Robert Downey Jr. Like Good Morning Vietnam up. is that's the, like head and shoulders pinnacle. above the rest. Robin Williams was the king of this, except for maybe Gregory. Peck, yeah, dude, because pretty dude, great. he's fucked up inside and he's putting on that jovial face, and that's when Stone yep. starts talking, and he says. Um, because he says that, you know, you got to fill out all the stinking papers. And then Stovall responds to that by saying, that is not why I am drunk tonight. I got drunk because I am confused. I was thinking, which is a thing a man should not do. And all at once, I couldn't remember what any of them looked like. I, I could see their faces. Couldn't. See I, no, faces. I couldn't see their faces. Bishop, Cobb, Wilson, Zimmy, all of them. All of you. They all looked alike, just one face, and it was very young. It confused me. And I think I shall stay drunk until <clears throat> until I'm not confused anymore. And then my next note is, and I'm done. That's fucking wild. Dude, that was one of the most incredible bits of dialogue <laughs> that I've ever heard or seen performed on screen. It's brilliant. And the, the, the brilliant, the, the, the beauty of having to go back and like catch all of it again for the yep. notes and, and so look is I got to like hear the, the every bit of choice made. I, I hate to sort of, I feel bad almost breaking that little performance Break, no, down. let's do it. But there's, That's what so, we do, bro. there's so many things that the, the choices that he made down to the timing, the beats, the where he's breathing and, and licking his lips and I hands down nomination for best drunk acting 100%. ever period because it's and the show drunk acting like just, last nomination ever might as well hang it well up. i had the note from earlier when he was drunk it's like are you drunk and he's like i am drunk and i probably will again Even that was good yeah was perfect because you can tell he's <laughs> drunk but he's under he's in control of himself he's right. not really slurring his speech but he's just standing a little too tall He's he's speaking maybe a little bit too he's clearly got, because he's got that drunk, wobble. just a wee bit of wobble yeah. and kind of misses the door a little bit on the way out of the room. <laughs> it's uh, that's actually kind of funny. Some of yeah. the early stuff is kind of. But funny. this is the, like just beat by beat, like going back through all of it is it will stand out to me forever as one of the greatest 
one of the greatest 68 seconds of, of film and, and, and work being done by an actor I've ever dude. fucking it's seen. It's got to be 30, but 30 it feels some seconds. like 30 It feels minutes. like forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, you're, you're right when you like, we talk about monologues on the show because monologues as a writer. Because the monologues in this are short. Short. So short. There's a brevity here that is working to this film's, like, it's insane how brief. Like I said, the patent speech is long. This is a writing class movie. Yes. Because you learn, they, they, they keep the flavor of how people really talk, right. but they give them profound things to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, have, I have a speech as well that I wrote. I went through subtitles on, couple frames at a yeah. time, wrote the whole thing down because I wanted my hand to have written those words. <laughs> That's how I felt about this. And it's when he's talking with... Um, He's talking about that. He's talking with that young bomber pilot who's standing. The Medal of Honor. The, the MOH. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he. That guy has become the proxy for the entire flight squadron the who all want to transfer out of this unit. We'll cover that speech. The reason that everyone wants to transfer out in a second. It's a crazy speech. It is. It's similar to the patent speech, but crazier. Yeah, I think it's crazier, dude. It's because he straight tells him without any like sugarcoating. There is not a drop of varnish on that speech. Nope. And you're like, when you hear it, and there's no rah rah either. He's not. And we're gonna do it, and we're gonna. It's just like straight up. Anywho, but yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's do yeah. both of them back to back. Here's what happens. Everyone's bummed. They're like, wharf. We're working. Nobody too much. likes us. No one. We're all like, we got the bad luck. It's I love that they address that though as a thing. Yes, well, the I don't believe in bad luck. I believe men make men make their own luck. Right. Well, it's in the speech. Yeah. So after, right after Savage gets there, this is Gregory Peck at his most hard ass. He does eventually. It is most. He doesn't ever. Sadistic. There's a dude. <laughs> one of my favorite lines is when Stovall goes. Oh, he's talk. I think he's talking with Keith, and Keith is like. Like, we do, but he can't ride him like this. He's got to back off of him just a little bit. And Stovall's all as quiet as he could be. He says, you tough man, huh? Mm. That is saying something. Yep. That, I thought that was a very profound moment, how Stovall just, just kind of nods. He's like, yeah, tough man. And that's all he gives you. <laughs> and he, and he, I love that Stovall backs him the whole way yeah. because one of the things we've only kind of gently touched on so far is the goal of Savage is to make this unit proud to be in this unit. And I have many conflicting feelings about war films. I have no conflicting feelings about war. War, that's easy for me. Right. It's the most terrible thing that humans do to themselves, period. Because it contains all of the worst elements of us. What's, what are horrible things that people do? Murder, that's mm-hmm. in war. Rape, that is common in war. Theft, um, destroying art, uh, group think. You can even get philosophical sure. with it, like you know, like fascistic tendencies, victimization of innocent, forced populaces, religious perspectives, forced religious <laughs> perspectives. But really, you can just you just take it to like massive cruelty, torture. Yeah, every bad thing that humans do, all the worst of it, is wrapped into one thing. We put a bow on it, and that is called war. So I have no, I'm completely unambivalent about my feelings towards war. I think war. That that's absolutely fair. But war films sometimes can be a little wiggly. They're wibbly, they're wibbly wobbly. And it's for part of it is reasons like this, because the fact that he wants to make these soldiers proud. Airmen, airmen sorry. Jesus. Sorry, Carl. I know. I always get confused. <laughs> so these are airmen. 
naval is it sailors 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 well they also have naval aviators too which are also considered to be airmen but okay okay all right so i'm sorry he wants to make these soldiers or army and marines or marines there you go anyway he wants to make these war fighters proud of their unit he wants it's not that he wants them to like war he says as much in the speech i'm about to read it's not that he wants them to like war it's not that he wants them to be comfortable with what they're doing he wants them to be able to stand on their own two feet and look what they're doing in the eye and be able to take, if not necessarily pride, something out of it. He's trying to reform their character as yeah. humans in a really interesting way. It's brutal what he's doing to them, but his motivations are very intriguing to me. And it resonated with me on a deep and profound level. I feel this way. This is going to sound silly, but again, remember, this is a historical event. The Zack Snyder film is its own thing, which I totally love. But the story of the Spartans at Thermopylae. Yeah, okay. This is something like that, which is like, what is the headspace? This is an extreme of human conditions. What is the headspace where you willingly just like wake up and the job that you do only one in four of the people who do that job are going to live for like six months. There's a 75% chance just based on the static numbers that you're not coming home today. We're all getting in our planes and we're going up in the air. And if we just roll the dice as they sit, according to our statisticians, three out of every four of us might not come home today. That is likely. But you do that because of something that you've come to believe. That is an interesting thing, and I think it is in many ways. Not from everyone. I totally get that there are still people who join the armed services or join any branch for this reason. They're going to serve. They're going to protect their country. I understand those impulses and those those ideas, Mm -hmm. but I think that this particular flavor of it is gone from the world, the World War II era flavor of it, because there's a certain strange moral purity and a certain sort of like almost st- stoic, an almost stoic fatalism that went into it, which is, fuck, we're probably going to die, but what we are opposing with our lives is so much worse than our individual deaths that we're willing to keep doing it. That's... The needs of the many. That's worth looking at. Sorry, that's Star Trek. <laughs> well, you know, like I. But he's quoting someone else, though. And that's that's you know that's interesting. Like I love looking at art in the context of art that came after it, came before it, came during it. Like the reason that I love that Stovall speech so much. The I'm dr- I'm drunk because I looked around and I couldn't remember what any of you or any of them looked like. All I saw was a young person and that young person died endlessly before my eyes. So I'm going to stay drunk until this makes sense. Yep. Because you know what? Maybe the delirium of alcoholism is the only way, the only lens through which any of this seems reasonable. The reason I love that speech so much is that guy was alive when this was happening for real. That's wild, man. That guy who's saying that five years ago was contending with those feelings mm-hmm. for real. Yep. This is not everyone in the cast and ev- crew. Everyone there who's acting these things out, they're all in their 
like you'd have to be four years old to not remember the war. Right. All these dudes lived that. All, and many of them served. Many of them served. Many of them have this trauma for actuals. You know what I mean? Like that is truly in them. When they're acting these moments, they're recalling the moment that that actually happened. That's crazy to see that. Mm. This is a profoundly powerful movie. So here's what happens. Savage gets all the men together for a muster because there's lots of complaining. We got to have a chat. Yeah. Like, boys. well, and they, they pull them off bomber rotation. They're like, you guys aren't running any missions yep. anymore. We're going to transition. And once I deem you guys ready, then we'll start going back up, marches up to the stage, climbs up there. And we should talk about, we should mention no score. There's no score. There's that a little fucked bit... me up when you read that. I was like, damn, I got Dracula v. Dracula again. Because I'm remembering like, <laughs> like score. Through, yeah. Nope, none of no, it. No, that's a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. We'll talk about the overscored movie next week. but uh, Overcast and overwritten. Overcast, overwritten, overscored, overacted. Anyway, that's a movie for another time. Yeah, but another good looking flick. Yeah. Oh, sometimes, beautiful. Sometimes, oh, sometimes, not. sometimes it's beautiful. Oh, sometimes not. This movie, always, always beautiful. beautiful. Camera is a part of the environment yes. in this. Absolutely, it's it's it has pain, it blocks it has blocking with the rest of the actors in the room. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing big. There are no big camera moves happening in no. this. It's very subtle. Very subtle. But when work. you see what's happening as a camera weaves its way in and out of a conversation, it's oh opening oh. opening sequence when the former when Stovall it's Stovall. Stovall goes in and buys his hat in England. He's walking down. We're doing now. We do a tracking shot down yep. the street with him. He stops and look, checks out the reflection of his very fine hat in the junk shop window, and sees the Robin, the Robin Hood, Hood mug. bomber mug from his bombing unit. He goes in and buys it for ten, like ten cents. Like that, we come out the door with him. We stay on him. We track the shot. Track the shot. Watch him t- see his reflection. Watch him see the Robin Hood mug. Camera pans, not tracking anymore pans back over the door he goes in we see conversations happen through the window subtle they don't move the camera unless they have to yeah because we're going to get some motion in the air later um i read didn't see it when i was watching because i was kind of engrossed in what was happening it's really hard to not watch movie yeah this is not like a stop start stop you just hit play and then the credits are rolling and you're like holy shit Mm -hmm. um but there's no fading for the first hour they only use hard cuts and the way that they employ those hard cuts is very effective, and it reflects the Gregory Peck character. This is We've talked about this before. When the cinematography reinforces other elements of the film, yes. now you've got filmmaking. Now it's not just... Now it's a shot because it's, oh, wouldn't it be cool if... Right. It, it's, we're going to shoot it this way because that will add meaning when the or character, add depth. When, or, when the camera has motivation for what it's doing... Yes. It's the most, some of the most incredible shit you'll ever Motivate see. Motivate your camera. Exactly, Filmmakers. people. Gosh, read the book. I think it's freshman year <laughs> filmmaking. Yeah, indie films would be like 30% better across the board if oh my every God. filmmaker was just like, motivate the camera. You know what I mean? Yep. And you don't have to be gimmicky. Like, no, of course not. We all liked Birdman. It was fine. But like, you don't have to motivate Sometimes the Sometimes gimmicks are fine because they're fun. Yes. And they add an element of unexpected shit. Like- Gregory Peck is going to go and talk to Ben, who is, we just found out flown three missions with a broken back after after gregory peck has reduced this character to like the lowliest one this is fucking the pilot of the uh the The leper leper colony colony. he calls in like a third ceo or he's like fourth down the rank he's the guy under keith who could have we find out that this guy ben i think his name's ben great gately ben gately 
has more four engine time than any man in this unit. So he could have been a natural leader who could have stepped up and taken some of the right. pressure off of Keith, the guy who's running this before Savage gets in there. But we find out that he like how many but you've only run four missions and the guy goes if you don't count the two that I turned back and you're like why, why would you why ever would you do that, though? confess and, that yeah and say to that this yeah. guy who's chewing you out for not running enough bomber missions and you're like yeah well, I was uh, like, well the ones I did run you know what I'm saying well, I mean like five, it was really like seven but I didn't really get very far and, I know, mean two, I logged two that I didn't even wake up for so and uh, dude, he's such an uncompromising hard ass yeah. because he stands up and he's like, he says to his face, he's like, I think you don't care that much about watching one of the most, the finest men I've ever known, like fall to pieces when you could have alleviated some of his strain and stress. Yeah. I'm calling, he says, I think you're yellow. I think you're a coward who's running away from his duty and that you've betrayed every man, every man in this unit and mm-hmm. the morals and the principles for which they stand. And he's like, so here's what you're going to do. You're now just an air commander you're just a, a captain of a bomber i want you to paint the following i want you to paint this name on the nose of your plane the leper colony and i'm gonna give you every slacker every you're getting the shit bud he's like everyone who everyone who calls in sick bombardier who's what's the fucking line he says every bombardier who can't hit his plate with his fork Oh my god. He's yeah. he like you're getting he's like you're getting them all and you're on every single mission that's where that guy starts. And by the end of that movie, we find out that Ben Gately has, is in the infirmary because he flew three missions back to back to back with a fractured spine. Because, because over the course of the film, Gregory Peck's leadership style and the lengths to which he's pushing these men and not bullshitting them. He's not giving them like what you're doing what you're doing is like morally justified no he says one of my favorite lines is you know what we are guinea pigs when he he talks straight to these guys and that's what commands respect and he's flying the missions with him and when he sees that he has that's probably partly what fucks him up is when he sees ben gately laying there in bed in full traction because he's been flying with a broken back for like multiple missions in a God row. Damn, that scene still just breaks my fucking heart. Because he's still, he's still, he avoids, he avoids it. He checks in with the other two guys in the room. So, how's, how's it going? Oh, you're looking pretty good. How long? Two, two days? Two days till back? Your hands are looking good, though. And then he finally gets to Ben Gately, and it's like, he sits on the bed awkwardly, well, ben, and it I, hurts uh, him. Yeah. He's well, like, oh, oh God, God, I'm sorry. I didn't even think about that. No, go ahead, sir. Sit down. No, go ahead, sir. Sit down. He sat on the bed and it adjusted. It moved his traction and that caused his broken back to pain him. Yeah. So fucking. It was shearing his spine. Like, yeah. So Savage gets up. He's like, shit, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to like hurt your broken back. And greatly looks up and goes, no, no, it's all right, sir. Go ahead. That guy's got a great voice too. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, sir. Sit down. He doesn't. He's like, no, no. I'll, I'd, I'll I'd rather stand. stand. I, yeah. I've been logging more sitting time up in the yeah. than flying time lately. Eh? He walks around. That might be why he goes on these bombing raids is he feels like he's been slacking and these dudes are, yeah. these guys are dying for him. They're f- literally flying missions with a broken back. With a broken back. And he comes around and he leans and he's like, oh, you might not, you're probably not in the mood for talking. No, go ahead, sir. Broken back, laying in bed, fucking agony the most pain you've ever been in your life and he's waiting for 
and he's waiting for Savage. And this is one of the moments in this movie where I'm like, fuck, I could have, I wish. Because he's waiting for Savage to be like, you did good. Yeah. You When I tore you down to nothing, you were truly a piece of shit. And over the court, and let's just be real, you were a piece of shit greatly. But over the course of the last 15 missions, however many weeks, you've become something different. You've grown. And you are not, you have come to excel as a leader and as a, a ca- the captain of your, of your flight crew. You've taken the worst of the worst of this crew and you have transformed Turned them into something. Well, he doesn't say that though, does he? He doesn't. Fucking shit. He does. And that's what's so fucked. And part of, part of me gets it. This but is we that. want him to say that so we badly. Do. But, but, but maybe the fact that we both know what he should be saying or what he is saying, maybe that me I, I don't know go yeah. with me on this no i'm there that's communicated i think so in the because you know what here's the, here's the line we do get. it would be out of character for both of them for one to, for for greatly to sit there and hear it and accept that as not being bullshit i think that the unspoken is i think that greatly says as much as i know what you want to say but can't and i thank you for what you haven't said to me right because here's what we get he leans over Greatly's waiting. Greatly's waiting. Here it comes. Gregory Peck's gonna tell me I did a good job, and Gregory Peck sa- or Savage says, uh, "Anything I can get for you, or uh, anything I can send you, not a thing, General. I've got everything I need." That's that guy saying. I get it. The fact that you came here and are visibly a little bit fucked up. That means the world. Yeah, to me. he checked on him. Yeah, he's like, "You came to check on me," and he knew no about my back. Too. Yeah, yeah, you know, like because the injury ostensibly was like he got shot. Yeah, but then the doctor found out. He's like, uh, yeah, but he's got a broken back too. Yeah, but I don't know how his legs are still working. Yeah, this like, is like kind of a while he's been flying missions. Can you imagine? Landing? We have a we have a dude with a broken back doing missions in the next movie too. It's true. It's weird. It's true. Well, people just really wanted to fight, you know. They did. Um. So what what did you think of this? What did what is Gately's reaction to finding out that the general cares because after after the general leaves the nurse comes back in and she's like well I found out that your a1 status are very uh, some kind of special guy and he this is the thing I love is this is ambiguous so much of this movie is ambiguous because Gately puts his hand over his eyes and he turns it's gonna fuck me up just replicating yeah. this, but he turns like to the right a little bit and I can't read what that is. I have two ideas. One, he's feeling overwhelming joy and pride at having appeased this powerful man who he has come to deeply respect. Yeah. It's either that or he's feeling despair that his fractured back earned him nothing more than A1 medical status laying in a cot in a country that's mm-hmm. unfamiliar to him. I think it'd be fair to say that it's a it's a good mix of both, and he's dealing with a lot of shit, man. Like it's a no kidding something that we can't even comprehend. I think I think it's I think it's many of those. I think it's I think it's both happening. I think that he is thankful that that Savage like did give him like the the chip on the old shoulder, right? Without saying anything, I made the general proud. Yep, but he also is dealing with the fact that may, I I think he's also dealing with the fact that well he's he has now gotten to the level of of performance where he is one of the best in the 
and he can't fly anymore. His back is broken. Well, he does fly. He leads the last bombing that's run right. after fucking Savage cracks up. That guy steps up yeah, and that's becomes right. the he squadron does. commander. Jesus Christ, man. Like, so I, actually, I think that probably answers it. Like, yeah, that so. guy has fully been transformed by this experience Absolutely. and by this other man. And what he, he is, he's weeping with gratitude. He was kind of a lazy piece of shit that didn't give a fuck before. This guy... And Straight didn't even finish missions. Like I get it. I I, I don't know how I would act. Like right. whatever. But but Savage elevated this dude to something yeah. higher. Yeah. And and that's what I'm saying about like war movies being fucked up. Is like part of me looks at that and is like, oh, that dude's psyche was cracked. That guy's psyche broke so much that he dogmatically was willing to sacrifice his body for the, this higher command. Right. But then the other part of me, the there's a human part of me that is like. How admirable. And I can't divorce that from... That might be part of human nature, and I simply can't escape it. You know what I mean? Like, it very well may be. It's the, it's the thing of watching all the Spartans die to defend their the rest of Sparta, to, to defend Lacedaemonia against this Persian menace. You watch these 300 dudes essentially commit a torturous suicide over the course of several days, over which they suffer the loss of family members, horrific mm-hmm. injuries. I watch that, and I'm not like, what a waste... Partly I am, but the other part of me is like, God damn, how fucking brave. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like any, I don't know, man. I don't know. War movies always stir something in me for sure. But the, but intellectually they horrify me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the weird trick of them. They're powerful. So Savage, Savage is about to. Little too much movie for one episode. Tune in tomorrow for the conclusion of our conversation on 1949's 12 O'Clock High.